Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to TalkSport's Game Day podcast with me, Sam Matterface, Alex Crook and Scott Minto. As we react to the midweek Champions League action, honours even between Manchester City and Real Madrid... Meanwhile, Inter take control of the Milan derby. How will City's result impact Pep Guardiola's lineup this weekend against Everton as they look to keep their advantage over Arsenal? And at the bottom of the table, Southampton could be relegated this weekend, but who will join them? Difficult fixtures for all four of their relegation rivals. It's the Game Day podcast from Talk Sports. Buona noche, buongiorno, buongiorno. What a game in Milan on Wednesday night. Milan nil into two. Uh, while Scott Minto and Alex Crook were out on the Raz with Adrian Durham. I was following the game in the uh, San Siro. Uh, Crook, have you recovered from your, uh, your your night out? I'm sure Fakayo Tamori is uh, suffering with a bit of a hangover this morning. Uh, is yours just as bad? Do you know what? I feel surprisingly well, actually, um, after you... Uh, Took me in again, gave me shelter for the night. I was on the first train out of London. Here we are. There are remnants of your kebab in my hotel room, by the way. <laughs> You're such an apologies a, to, the, uh, to the room service. Um, listen, um, last night, Tamori often talks about, about how much Southgate overlooks him. Something that Hugh Wisencroft said to me just before the start of the game on Wednesday night. Um, and, and I said, look, the one big problem that Gareth has always had with um, Fakai Tamori is that sometimes in big games he just loses his head happened when he went back to Stamford Bridge he's a he's a great fella and he's a brilliant defender for most of the time but sometimes he can just get caught maybe that's a little bit of naivety and youth that still uh, eventually he will get over and some of the best defenders have had worse games than him but I thought he looked a little bit startled in that first 20 minutes uh, last night. And it is advantage into going into the second game. Uh, Real Madrid at Manchester City was an absolutely brilliant game on Tuesday night. Absorbing, great contest. Um, it was everything you want in a football match, isn't it, Scott? Absolutely, mate. So so I was out with Crookie um, last night. But actually, the night of the Real Madrid City game, I was also at a place. I just want to quickly mention it because how the organisers got it, got everyone together, I don't know. The 05 winning Ashes side as well as the 03 World Cup rugby winning side as well, at a charity function. Wow. It was amazing. And to hear from Sir Clive Woodward, Duncan Fletcher, Andrew Strauss, uh, Steve Harmison, uh, Matthew Hoggard, they, they, it was it was brilliant. It was a really, really good night. So, yeah, back-to-back late nights. But what I did do is, when I woke up yesterday morning, watched the game, and I found it, you know, I've heard people sort of say, oh, it's not as exciting as sort of the Premier League or whatever. That is exactly what top-level football yeah. is all about the best against the best and how they play technically, tactically. I thought City was superb in the first half, didn't deserve to be a, a goal down. But Vinicius Jr. obviously can can pop up anywhere. I thought, of, you know, he's been mentioned, but this is my first time to mention him, Kyle Walker. You know, when you're up against someone like a Vinicius Jr., the battle they had, OK, yes, he scored. And it seems strange to say, 
he was probably Real Madrid's best player and yet Carl Walker kind of marked him out the game. Whenever he was in his vicinity, he was there and, and it was just a battle within a battle that I loved watching. I already can't wait for the second leg. Yeah, second leg was uh, particularly um, well anticipated anyway because it's at Manchester City. So I think people thought uh, oh, that that will be decisive. And it was key, actually, I think, for Manchester City to to make sure that they escaped from the Bernabeu without too much damage. I think that, that they started so well and then got sucked back in. And that's what Real Madrid can do to you. They, they just play in moments. They'll come up with something. And that Vinicius Junior goal was something... Very special indeed. Started by Camavinga in the left fullback position. That was particularly impressive. His performance actually for for a good sixty minutes was brilliant. And then he sort of lost his way, and and City took control of that area of the pitch. And um, was uh, Bernardo Silva a little bit lucky not to get a red card for the foul on him? Do you think, Crook? Do you know what I think? It's one of those that when you see the still picture, it it looks a naughty tackle. But actually, if you watch it in real time. I don't think it is a red card. I think it's clumsy as opposed to malicious. Obviously, Bernardo Silva is not renowned for his tackling ability. But no, I I don't think it was a red card. Um, Grealish against Carvajal. That was quite interesting. And those two both got involved in a few little uh, scraps and battles as well. Um, That'll be a a battle I'm looking forward to see being renewed. One thing that did freak me out a little bit, Scott, was is that uh, Pep Guardiola, who has talked about schedule and was at the forefront of the movement to get five substitutes introduced into the Premier League, didn't make a single replacement in the game. How How is that? Why would you not? Do you know do what? That? He's actually done that a lot before. I didn't realise until you, you just brought that up. But I do remember coming out of a stat when it's almost trying to defend Gareth Southgate a bit about substitutions that Pep doesn't do that. If you look at some big, big games, he, he quite often doesn't make substitutions. Um, he, he clearly feels... Or the only thing I can think of is that sometimes substitutions doesn't improve. It disrupts the the flow. And, you know, it can take players 5, 10, 15 minutes to get used to the pace of the game because that was played at a fantastic pace. It really was. So historically, he's he's like that. He doesn't doesn't always make substitutions when you think he might. But also, don't forget, they were pretty much in control of the game. Okay, they were 1-0 down for, for a bit, but they got that wonderful strike from Kevin De Bruyne. And then it's about game management. And he felt the 11 players he had in the pitch were doing a good job. What's the best uh, goal for you, Vinicius Junior's goal or Kevin De Bruyne's, Scott? Do you know what? Normally, I'd sort of say anyone who has to take an extra touch, for example, a first touch, then a strike, the first touch has to be good and, and the strike itself. So so I, I would normally go with Vinicius Junior. But that strike from De Bruyne was just so pure. You know, when when you see it from behind the goal at a slow motion angle that... It's hit so hard, but it's spinning backwards. That's when you know someone has struck the ball so beautifully. And and who else but Kevin De Bruyne could do that? So I, I'm going to go for his goal. Kevin De Bruyne always amazes me because he looks like he, he should be uh, uh, playing five aside, doesn't he? Because he he looks like a geezer you wouldn't pick on your school team. You're always <laughs> bright red in the face. Doesn't look like an athlete. Hunched over, you know. He, 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 but he, he's so effective. He's so brilliant. He's so elegant, graceful. He sees things before everybody else. He's a terrific, terrific footballer. Uh, That's the best of the midweek action. Let's get stuck into the Premier League this weekend. Starting with the race for the title, how will the Champions League affect Pep's team selection for Man City? Everything against Manchester City starts on Sunday. Um, Prior to Monday, this looked a foregone conclusion, but I mean, I still can't quite believe what I saw with my own eyes when Brighton were beaten by Everton. Manchester City 
substitutions we've already mentioned, Crook. And uh, I wonder whether or not that means he'll make a wholesale bunch of changes. Well, I think I was listening to breakfast on Wednesday morning and it was Gabby Agbonahor, I think, who was suggesting that maybe Erling Haaland might be rested for the weekend. Uh, that will yeah. be music to Everton fans' ears. But yeah, you've got to think he will make changes because of the fact he didn't bring on a sub. It was uh, emotionally and physically quite a draining game in the Bernabeu. So yeah, I think it, it will give Everton a little bit of hope, a flicker. And obviously Everton played very well at Brighton on, on Monday themselves. So maybe this isn't the foregone conclusion that perhaps it, it looked a week or so ago. Uh, one hand on the trophy if they win this, Scott. Though. Yeah, and, and and don't forget they can afford to sort of drop points in two games, uh, can't they? So, yeah. you know... and They can afford to lose twice, really, because of the yeah, goal difference. And look, they want to win every every trophy, and, and Pep's going to sort of say that. But if you really pinned him down, if, if Crookie sort of gave him an arm wrestle and he was just about to lose and he said, right, tell me which trophy do you want more? It's Champions League. So, you know, that's the one now. The def- the, the, the defining moment of the season is the second leg because you would think whoever goes through to the final of that side of the draw will go on and win the Champions League. Obviously, you know, let's forget about the disrespect, whatever. Strong favourites. So it's all about this game on Wednesday. And when you look at the table, if they were Arsenal, you'd, you'd almost kind of say, well, he maybe has to play his best team. He doesn't have to play his best team in... Um, in, in, the, in the game against Goodison. And there are certain ones, not just Haaland, but Carl Walker. He has to play and be fit and be fresh for the second leg. So I, I would be surprised if Pep doesn't make a lot of changes. And I mean, when I say a lot, not like 11, but there's some looking at the bench, there's some fantastic players who deserve to be a, a, a first team star. How much does that affect their ability to win the game though, right? Because even if they were to bring in Julian Alvarez instead of Erling Haaland, if they were to bring in Riyad Mahrez instead of Bernardo Silva, if they were to to play a slightly reconfigured defence, if they switched the goalkeeper out, how much of a difference would that make? And and, and what would that do to shift the, the, the balance in Everton's favour, Crook? Well, it does make a difference. Listen, they've got a very strong bench. Of course they have. But the more changes you make, the, the less fluidity you might have in your performance. And also, I just think psychologically, if Everton pick up that team sheet and see that the likes of Haaland and Walker and De Bruyne are not in the starting lineup. It just gives them a, a little psychological boost before kickoff, doesn't it? They haven't beaten uh, Manchester City since 2017. Um, and they may well be sitting there thinking, well, you know, this is a write-off and whatever. We've got games against Wolves and Bournemouth still uh, to play. But they've gone from almost relegation certainties to a team that you think will probably end up staying up in a blink of an eye. And that's how quickly the, the, the Premier League, especially especially at the bottom, can change. Stop. I think we'll look back as Monday as the defining day of, of what's happened. You know, there, there still could be twists and turns. Of course there can. Um, but I did not see that performance, let alone result, for Everton. And I think, again, Crookie talks about the psychology of things. It's so important with the top, whether you're at top or at the bottom. Everton now, even if they don't win this game, they will believe they'd nick three points from somewhere that they weren't expecting. And so even if they lose, they weren't expecting the City, they're still going to be ahead of what is a very poor Leicester side and a very poor Leeds side right now. So if they can get a draw out of it, obviously they'd snap your hand off. But it, it, I think Monday's result at, at Brighton will we'll see them up because I think they'll get another result elsewhere. OK, we'll get into uh, some more of the relegation games a little bit later on because we've got Leeds against Newcastle live on Talk Sport on Saturday lunchtime. Arsenal... Uh, take on Brighton this weekend. They found their mojo again after a recent wobble. Too little, 
too late or are they doing very well to ensure they finish second? Because that's now guaranteed, Crook. Yeah, and I, and I think that is an achievement. You know, if you said that to Arsenal fans at the start of the season, they would have snapped your hands off because I don't think any of us on the preview podcast even predicted Arsenal to finish top four, let alone to be runners-up. I was really impressed with their performance against Newcastle. I commentated the game. Newcastle started fast, hit the post, obviously had that penalty that was then overturned. But from the minute, really, the early guard scored, Arsenal controlled the game. I thought it was their immature performance that, that they silenced the Newcastle crowd, which is not easy to do. And again, it showed they can they can stand up to pressure. I'm not subscribing to the opinion that they bottled it. You know, how can you bottle it? They might end up on 90 points and not win the title. Okay, it's disappointing to drop points at home to Southampton, but that can happen in a title race. Yeah, I mean, look, they've won. Uh, they're unbeaten in six at home in the league. They've, but the problem has been they've kept just one clean sheet during that time. And although Aaron Ramsdale seems to keep clean sheets for fun away from home, there's a problem with doing so at the Emirates Stadium. And that will end up being their own doing because they drop points against uh, um, Southampton at home. If they'd won that game, this would have been tighter going into the last couple of games of the season. Yeah, and, and look, anyone can drop points at Anfield. Um, you know, toughest place to go. And even West Ham away, you tune it up, you should see it out really. But you can drop points there. I think the Southampton game is a killer. If you're going to be champions, you can't drop points, you know, at home to them. I was at the game 2-0 down, you know, Ramsdale. Sometimes I think at home, you can almost try to look as if you're too casual, too confident. And I think that's what happened to Ramsdale. And suddenly you're 1-0 down and it's a bit like, oof. They, they could have gone on to win it in the end, but they didn't. But they'll look back at that and say, we really needed to keep pile of pressure on City. Because this is the really important weekend for City, really, or for Arsenal in between the semi-final of the Champions League. This is where, OK, Everton, especially after that result against Brighton, you're thinking, can they drop points? Because we just talked about the changes. But in terms of Arsenal, I'm 100% with Crookie. There's no way it's a failure. I didn't have them in the top four at the start of the season. I had them as fifth. And, you know, I've said many times, without them, we should thank them because without them, we wouldn't have had a title race. But it's just disappointing the way they've sort of dropped points in, in that time. Yeah, and it's disappointing that we didn't get the big climax. In fact, we got a very limp end towards the end of the season. We know now that Manchester City will win the title because they can afford to lose two games. They ain't going to do that. Um, we talked a lot about whether or not Bakayo Saka or, um, or Bakayo Saka, make sure you say it right, uh, Bakayo Saka uh, and um, Erling Haaland, which one of them should win the, the Football Writers Player of the Year. But... What about Martin Erdegaard? Should he have been considered and talked about a little bit more, bearing in mind that he's got 15 Premier League goals this season, the most non-penalty goals by a midfielder in the history of the league? Some achievement, that, really. Seven assists as well, I think. So, yeah, his numbers are good. He's been the leader um, with the captain's armband. And he scored some big goals, you know, none more so than at Newcastle uh, the weekend. So, I think he should be in the conversation. I think the nearer we get to the night, when Erling Haaland scored 50-odd goals, you sort of have to give it to him, don't you? I mean, there was a case maybe six or seven weeks ago when I was leaning towards Saka. Um, I know people actually put their votes in and have since tried to change it um, yeah, a- from Saka Adrian. to Haaland. So uh, I think Haaland will win it, and rightly so. Adrian told me this story where he sort of he, he put his uh, he went in early. We were talking about it, and he was like, "I'm, I'm going to vote now." And I said, "Oh, I'm just going to wait a couple of weeks." We were both talking about Saka at the time, and then he's ended up voting for Saka, and I've waited two or three weeks and then given it to Haaland, and then he. Um, 
he, he rang up the, the board and asked to change his phone and then went, what am I doing? What am I doing? I, I can't do that. No, I've already made my decision. That's it. So he stuck with Saka in the end. First of uh, all, but I think sorry, that's Sam, on. has anyone heard from Adrian this morning? Is he okay? Do you think? I, I... No. Yeah, no. He, he said he's still smiling. He had a good, good night. He did send me a, a, I sent him a picture of all of us, uh, the, the, the core crew in the pool club uh, about from about two o'clock in the morning. And uh, he was very happy with those photographs. I think mainly because Crook wasn't in it. <laughs> um, Granit Xhaka has been heavily linked with a move back to Germany this week, uh, which is surprising giving uh, his form. Um, but could it be a sign that they're about to sign Declan Rice? £120 million has been the price tag that the media have sort of been leaked. Um, I was on breakfast this morning talking to Alan Brazil and Ali McCoist about that. Um, what's your, your your view on that hefty price tag? There's an English tax there, obviously. But could he be a major piece in the Arsenal jigsaw puzzle, which pushes them further towards winning top honours, Scott? Well, there's two things there. First of all, about the player, and, and we we saw him at the London Stadium at the weekend, and after 20 minutes, West Ham were under pressure. And I actually said, look, we've gone preview uh, pre-match and talked about him. These are the games where now he needs to find a way to step up. But as I was saying it, I was thinking to myself, well, he can't do it on his own. He practically did. Now, don't get me wrong, United mm. and, and De Gea and, and the rest of the players just lost it after that goal. But the way Declan Rice ran the show after that was nothing short of sensational. And you talk about big performances. People say about you should be scoring more goals. Again, you know, he's playing a role. He's almost just plugging gaps where he sees at any given time Suchek wants to bomb on because Suchek not, he's not really like a holding midfielder. I just think he's one of the best midfielders already in the Premier League. I think he has the potential to be world-class. I think if he plays for a club like Manchester United, he will take his game to another level. Is he worth 120 million? No, in my opinion. You know, that's West Ham. Obviously, I've got a nice house. People want to buy it. I'm going to try with this figure. I still, I even think 100 million is a lot of money for a central midfielder. But it's all about the person who wants to come in and buy that house if they're willing to put the money down. And um, Brighton are Arsenal's opponents this weekend, and they were pretty woeful in the game down at. Uh... The Amex on Monday night when they lost to Everton, but they've been pretty good generally over the course of the season. They blend sort of some great individual talent with really good team shape and plan. They've won their last two trips to the Emirates. Um, how do Brighton revitalise themselves after what was a, a really tawdry game on, on Monday? Roberto De Zerbi said you will see the real Brighton this weekend, and I suppose for their supporters and for them for the end of the season, we sort of need to. Yeah, he also said that we might look back on Monday night as a, a key night in Brighton's history. He was very upset, Roberto De Zerbi. He, he locked the players in the dressing room for a good 45, 50 minutes. He was late for his television commitment, so he's going to get fined for that. Um, but I think he was disappointed with their mentality. Well, I know he was because he said it. And he said if they want to be a big club and to compete for the biggest prizes, they need to learn to play big games back to back because they were so good the previous week against Manchester United. So to follow it up with a 5-1 defeat at home to a team battling relegation is, is really disappointing. So I guess we're going to we're gonna learn a lot more about Brighton probably on the back of that defeat than we have with the wins they've been picking up over the course of the season. I was there when they beat Arsenal in the Cup. It wasn't a fluke. Um, I spoke to Danny Welbeck leading up to this game. And, and I, I get the impression that Brighton want to bounce back and, and want to prove they do have that winning mentality. 
Um, well, defeat for Brighton this weekend would leave the door open for Aston Villa and Spurs in the race for a European place. They meet on Saturday and it's live on TalkSport. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yes, Aston Villa Spurs, 3pm on Saturday afternoon. Harry Kane hinting, uh, this week that he will be remaining at Spurs. Crook, is, is that the latest? <laughs> That's a big question. Um, ultimately, I think only uh, only Daniel Levy c- well, can really answer. Is he playing games? Sorry, say that again. Is he playing games? Um, I think I, I wouldn't say that necessarily. I, I think he's just being honest. I think he's he's talking about the future of Tottenham and, and maybe, you know, wishful thinking Tottenham fans are, are putting two and two together and saying, well, he wants to be part of the future at Tottenham. He might just be making a, a comment about the future of the club that he's he's served for a long time. Manchester United want him. Uh, there'll be other suitors. I know Bayern Munich have got some interest, but I don't think they'll they'll pay the money. The question for Daniel Levy is, is he willing to sell his record goal scorer to a Premier League rival or does he risk him going to Chelsea on a free transfer potentially at the end of the season and let his contract r- run down? It's a really difficult one for Daniel Levy and he's got a history of trading with Manchester United. He did it with Berbatov, he did it with Carrick. Uh, Yeah, but uh, from what we are told, Manchester United are a little bit wary of dealing with um, Daniel Levy because he's got a reputation of being notoriously difficult. He has been difficult in the past. He often often sort of tries to stick in a sort of 11th hour clause right at the last minute and that sort of put Manchester United off dealing with them previously. Um, It's been a long time since the two clubs have actually done a deal, uh, and I wonder whether or not they might think to themselves, it's too expensive, it's too protracted, there are other options that we can go for. And I think Manchester United fans would probably think, actually, as much as Kane is a terrific, terrific player, I'm not entirely sure that, that that's the kind of money you want to be spending on someone of that age. But anyway, let's hear from I Harry was Kane. of that thinking a few weeks ago. I'm now coming round to it because you were talking about it during commentary on Monday night or in the build-up to the, to the game against uh, Forest Southampton, he guarantees you 30 goals. or You might get three years out of him, but that, that might be enough to certainly cement you in the top four, maybe to win a Premier League title like Robin Van Persie did. And actually, if you look around at the the, the alternatives, 
Ozymen is going to be more expensive than Kane, and there aren't too many more world-class number nines on yeah. the market, are there? But o- Ozymen, for example, is going to be someone that if you spend a lot of money for, he's going to be around for a lot longer. Sa- Sam, look, there's a lot of layers to this f- from United's point of view, from Tottenham's point of view, from Harry Kane's point of view. From Manchester United's point of view, you're absolutely right about Ozymen. You know, bigger outlay, but longer in terms of having him. He would be a, a definite good alternative. But Crookie's absolutely spot on. What do Manchester United need more than anything else? And Crookie, don't say a goalkeeper. It's a, it's a striker, <laughs> you know, and you need someone who can score goals and someone who's ready-made. And if United get that, plus maybe a midfielder, plus maybe one other, whether it be a, a centre-half or a striker, they're in with the shout. Don't forget, we just said we didn't see Arsenal at the start of this season doing what they're doing. United would not be a million miles away. Now, from Harry Kane's point of view, I feel something has shifted. You don't make that type of interview if you're thinking you're going to go. So I think something has happened behind the scenes, whether the, the promise of a statue, obviously, you know, said in jest a little bit now, but little things like that, you don't say those things about how to move forward and, and what if you know in your head you're going to be moving. So I find this interesting. And also from United's point of view, final thing, I absolutely agree with you as well that Levy would let, uh, let it go to the last day of transfer deadline day. United cannot afford to let that happen. Absolutely. Uh, here is uh, Harry Kane talking about standards not being high enough and talking about pre-season and next season. Yeah, we have to find a way to be more competitive, to be more consistent. I spoke about uh, a few weeks ago about finding the values a bit uh, in the club, but that's something, you know, between me and the team and the staff and uh you know, probably the chairman will talk about internally and see how we can uh, try and bring back some of those, uh, probably some of those values we had with Maurizio when he was building uh, building that team. Um, and ultimately, just try and improve. You know, we need to be better than what we have been this season. And that starts by finishing off this season well and then leading into, into pre-season. Yeah, I feel like maybe we've just lost a bit of connection with, with the fans, you know, over the last year or so and uh, we need to try and get that back as a team and try and be together in in one moment and you know push push each other to to be successful um, and then I just think some of the stuff internally which you know I won't go into here but just some of the standards that you know maybe have dropped uh, around the training ground which need to need to improve because they're the, the small details that I think uh, yeah can make you a competitive team or make you a team that's you know fighting around sixth seventh place so um, that's something we'll, we'll talk about and, and try and change internally uh, for next season. Well, he did move above Rooney last week and now in second in the all-time Premier League uh, list. Maybe he knows something about the new manager situation at Spurs. Do we? Uh, well, we know that Nagelsmann is still very high on their list of targets. We know that Arna Slot is on it as well, as well as one or two young up-and-coming managers. But I think in terms of Nagelsmann, Everything has to be exactly right for him to accept that job. And priority number one for him is who he's going to be working for, who's the director of football. So I think Tottenham need to get that house in order before Nagelsmann will either, even entertain taking the job. And I've been told that actually Tottenham don't expect to make too much progress on their managerial search this side of the end of the season. Is this typical Tottenham though, right? They, they, I mean, over the years, we've always had this situation with Spurs. That What they do is, is they say, oh yeah, we were in for him. Oh yeah, we were in for him. Oh yeah, we, we, we were linked with him. They're quite happy to be linked with all the big names and the big players and whatever. And then, you know, somebody unheralded turns up like Carlos Vinicius. Um, so are we going to end up with a situation where they 
talk is going to be about Nagelsmann for two, maybe three months, because we're getting on a bit now in terms of how long this search has been going for. Uh, and then they're going to end up with, I don't know, Nuno Espirito <laughs> Santo or someone of the like, because that's what happened last time. Go on, Cookie. I think it's a possibility. Um, I, I really do. Um, I think what we can guarantee, though, it won't be... I don't think it will be a defensive coach this time. I think Daniel Levy is pretty clear. The fans are pretty clear. They want someone who's going to play entertaining football. But yeah, it may well be someone unheralded. I keep coming back to Michael Carrick, you know, particularly if Middlesbrough don't go up. He's got connections with the club. I think he's proved himself to be a very capable manager. I, I, I wouldn't rule him out. What about Ryan Mason, Scott? No, on both those counts for me. Um, I, th- I think it's a massive job, Tottenham Hotspur, and to turn it around. What we've seen over the last decade, and you can, obviously you can go further back if you talk about trophies, you need someone who is experienced and you could argue Nagelsmann is young, but he's still experienced and he's been there at a big, big club. For me, Ryan Mason um, is, if he wants to be a number one, he's he's putting himself in the shop window for a championship club. And Mickey Carrick's too early. It's way too early. He's got nothing to fall back on at the moment. It's all been on the up. You know, he needs three or four years as a, as a manager, whether that be in the, the championship or getting Borough up and, and being in the in the Premier League. It's far too early for a club the size of Spurs. Uh, Aston Villa and their opponents on uh, Saturday and they hit the brakes on good form. They lost the last two. Who is more likely for a European finish? Villa or Spurs? Difficult one, isn't it? Because both of them aren't playing particularly well. Spurs have played better in the second half of a couple of games recently, but Villa, Villa have just sort of hit the skids. Yeah, I've been disappointed by Villa. Um, I was disappointed when we went to Old Trafford and I was disappointed with them in their last game against Wolves as well. So I wonder if it has caught up with them a little bit. They they were always going to be at a disadvantage because they played more games than everybody else. Obviously, other teams are catching up now with their games in hand. So if you're asking me who's more likely to qualify for Europe, I think it will be Spurs because I think what Ryan Mason has done is just instilled a little bit of character and a little bit of belief and a little bit of fight in that Tottenham squad that maybe wasn't there well, certainly wasn't there under Stellini and wasn't there towards the end under Conte either. Uh, Scott, yeah, for you, Villa well, or Spurs? I, I would go for Spurs on a, on a number of levels. One, they've got the points. Two, they've got slightly better goal difference. And three, you know, the last two games are Brentford at home, Leeds away, whereas Villas are Liverpool away, Brighton at home. So I'm going for Spurs. And uh, who's going to finish higher in the table, Scott? Uh, Spurs or Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> I think... When are we having that Ful- dinner? Fulham are finishing higher above uh, than Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. I-, I-, I owe you. But I'm telling you now, if you make me go back to listen to all the podcasts when I first came Which in, will. when we said about Erling Which Haaland, that I said he's doing brilliant, but he won't hit 50 Premier League goals and you denied it. And both of you said, I, I did a deal with you that you'd take me out or I'd take both of you out. If you make me do that, we are going to the most expensive place in the world, let me tell you. Um, well, look, the first thing is, is that the original bet between Scott and I was very early in the season that Chelsea would finish below Spurs. And Scott said, no chance. Chelsea will get it together. I didn't know, Sam, Spurs. Sam, I didn't say no chance. What I did say is, and this was when Tuchel was in charge. This is pre-season, don't forget. The season hadn't even yeah. started. And you sort of said they've bought well Spurs and I agreed with you, but I still fancied, I knew that Chelsea were going to spend a lot of money. I didn't, the, I don't think anyone saw what was about to happen at Stamford Bridge. 57 points, Tottenham Hotspur from 35 games. Chelsea, 34 games, 42 points. Chelsea's maximum total is 54 points. So it is official. So at any time over the next couple of weeks, Scott, when you're ready, just uh, 
I actually went through Mayfair yesterday and had a little scout at the, the restaurants that I wanted to oh, go yeah. to. So I'll send you, I'll send you a list, um, and then we'll uh, we'll work we'll work I've, it I've out. Actually from got, there. I've actually um, got a Zoom meeting with my financial advisor at lunchtime today, so I'm going to. You'll need one. Uh, (laughs) Tottenham have won a trophy, by the way, as we've been recording this podcast. For the fourth year in a row, they've been recognised as the Premier League's greenest football club. So I'm sure their fans are absolutely delighted about that. And the open top bus is on order. Uh, Let's round things off at the bottom of the Premier League. uh, Kicking off with uh, Ellen Road on Saturday. Leeds against Newcastle is live on TalkSport. here at the Etihad Stadium, Manchester City 2, Leeds United 1. wasn't enough for the away set to get something from the game today, but Sam Allardyce will be pleased with a second half response. There's an opportunity with this football club, irrespective of where it are at the moment, it's Leeds United. Listen to that roar, West Ham United will believe that 37 points will keep them in the Premier League. The team's ball will be looking at that and thinking that's quite a difficult target to get. And it's finished Fulham 5, Leicester 3, a crazy game at the Cottage, which leaves Leicester in deep, deep trouble. People keep saying, oh, they're good players and we're a good team. We've lost too many games in this league, so they have to be aware of the fact. And Everton have five at the Amex. Dwight McNeil with his second. More about what we do, I've been saying it all the time, and I keep reminding the players that, so don't wait for others to look after you, so we have to look after ourselves. Oh. Oh. He leaves it! How can you not want Nottingham Forest to stay in the league, huh? One thing for sure is we need some more points, you know, than what we've got now, and uh, we just need to go on to the next one, trying to to get a positive outcome in that as well. One minute they're on a high, the next minute they're low. It's a proper relegation rumble. Well, I've got to be honest, this game is probably one of the biggest of the weekend, I think. Newcastle desperate to stay in the top four. Leeds United in a situation now where their job has been made incredibly hard by the results on Monday when Everton beat Brighton and Forest won their game against Southampton. Leeds have got less points at this stage of the season than the team that dropped in 2004. But the Premier League is very different now. When we uh, go back 20 years, we were talking about a team needing 40 points to stay in the league. It was a regular sort of part of our parlance. Now we are very accepting of the fact that the bottom teams now don't get more than 34, 35 points. West Ham have 33, uh, 37. Nottingham Forest have 33. Everton have 32. Leicester 30. And Leeds 30. Southampton will be relegated this weekend anyway, so we don't have to worry about them anymore. There are two paces up for grabs. Big Sam, how will he approach this game against Leeds, against Newcastle, bearing in mind what we saw from Newcastle last Sunday, Crook? Well, I think first and foremost, he'll want them to be difficult to beat um, because obviously Newcastle have plenty of attacking threat. be interesting to see if Eddie Howe pairs Callum Wilson and Alexander Isak in tandem again. He won't do that, will he? Away from home, possibly not. He won't do it. Um, so I'd, work, imagine, I don't think. I'd imagine Isak might get the nod and, and therefore Callum will have that role as impact sub that he hates but is actually very good at. Um, so I, I think we can expect Leeds to try and, and, and dig in, invite Newcastle on, hit on the counter-attack, use the pace the likes of, of Willie Nonto. I think they've got a fighting chance based on what we saw in the second half against Man City. Let's, let's, let's not sugarcoat it. They could have been five down at half-time. But again, they did show a little bit more character in that second half, that the home fans are going to be up for it. And, you know, this is this is an opportunity. They have to see it as such. 
Um, it was interesting listening to Sam Allardyce this week because they've got the worst defensive record in the in the league. They stopped uh, Manchester City from getting too many in the game last week by adding a little bit of experience. He brought Adam Forshaw into the middle of the park, which is something that we sort of advised a couple of weeks ago. Um, and Sam was saying, you know, he was tremendously important because it pointed out to me uh, and the coaches uh, and the football club that the midfield has been slightly weak in times in terms of particularly it's out of possession work. He's got experience and know-how, um, which I think helps him. And he, and he sort of supports the three-man midfield. He's sort of suggesting that it was pretty naive of the previous manager to leave him out for so long. Yeah, I think when, when you're down there, you know, obviously talent is important, but it's actually all about character. You know, you, you give me a, a team full of character when you're down there over a team full of talent and, and character will win because of the pressure. And we're seeing that with Leicester, aren't we? So what will we see from Big Sam? We won't see anything different. We will just see a very difficult to break down Leeds United side who will try and be aggressive without the ball. And then we'll, we'll hope to try and counter or get some set pieces. Look, you, you can say about they were much better in the second half and they will. And it could have, they were, they, it could have been 6-0 uh, and it wasn't. And I think that's the positive to take out of it. But Man City took the foot off the gas. You know, let's not, let's not dress it up in any other way. Um, the only positive to come out is that they weren't beaten 6-0. But this is a game where they believe and, and will have to, because of what happened with Everton, get at least a point out. But in terms of tactics, there won't be anything different. Patrick Bamford has deleted Twitter over the abuse that he got for his miss against Leicester City. Um, is it odd this, isn't it? This this sort of Twitter um, deletion. It's happened a couple of times. James, Mad- James Madison deleted Twitter and then went back on Twitter again uh, recently. Um, why, why, why do footballers actually run their own social media? I just don't understand it. It's very strange. You could just give it to somebody else to do. and you know, That's what you do, isn't it? Big time. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. No, actually, that's not true. I did that for <laughs> for four weeks during the World Cup because uh, the attention you get over the World Cup is ridiculous. So you can't really manage it yourself and do the job that you actually have to do. So yeah, I did give it to I, I do. during that period I do. of time. I, I, and, you know, one, because I don't really, I'm not very, as you well know, sort of IT friendly, but also I don't want to get sucked into the Twitter world. So although I have my own Twitter account, I have someone who posts, they're all my words, they're all my pictures, but yeah, you write everything, yes. don't you? It was a similar thing with me. I just, I just sort of had a situation where I would just send stuff to yes. certain people, and they would post yeah. it at the right time but, of but, the day. But in terms of current players, why, why, why? Don't get it. You, you cannot get anything positive out of it. You don't need to be selling yourself. What you do on the pitch will be doing it. And there might be a hundred people who will say nice things and there'll be one person who will be completely abusive. And human nature is that is the thing that will stick in your mind. Why, why, why? Yeah, well, we, we have it with, with Crook all the time. They regularly send us a, a screenshot of someone giving him abuse and we were saying to just don't get involved, no. just don't get involved, but he can't help it. Which is why whenever you see Alex Crook, he's usually in the corner of the room, hunched over uh, with his phone in his hand, bashing the screen, trying to, 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 to release yet another bit of Twitter storm. And, and it's it just it follow on from what I do. I apologise to anyone who sends a tweet and thinks I must be a real arrogant, ignorant person by not responding. I don't see it. So, you know, yeah. apologies for that. Whereas Crook does, which is why um, he never sees his wife because he spends most of his time just looking <laughs> at his phone. Um, how comfortable is Newcastle's top four finish given Manchester United's wretched, wretched form beneath them? Crook? Well, I think certainly Manchester United are more vulnerable uh, when it comes to Liverpool than 
Newcastle, but you know they want to get a win here um, just just to keep that gap because the job isn't done yet. And again, you know they've lost their last game. They don't want to turn that into back to back defeats at the business end of the season. I, I think they'll be fine. And actually, I think it'd be really it'd be really hard on Newcastle if they were to drop drop out of the top four because they've been one of the stories of the season. But their run of games is not. Is not straightforward because they've got two teams in, in Leeds and Leicester who are in the relegation battle, so they're not easy fixtures. They've got Brighton, who themselves are trying to get into Europe, and then they go to Chelsea on the last day of the season when I'd imagine a certain Maurizio Pochettino will be looking down from the director's box. So it's a tough running. I think this is quite an important game for Newcastle. It is, and it's a tough running because if they go to Leeds and don't get a positive result, so if they don't win the game there then the pressure is on them when they play Brighton live on TalkSport on Thursday. And the last thing you want is pressure playing against a team like Brighton because that result can go either way. Brighton has been a terrific team over the course of the season. Then once you get beyond that, if they haven't won those two games or haven't won any of those two games, you go into the final two games of the season and there is nervousness because Liverpool are going to win all their games between now and the end of the season, just because the very nature of the, the opponents that they've got, then they're not going to relent here. So I do think you know Newcastle have got to be a little bit careful, and this makes it an incredibly important game on Saturday lunchtime. There'll be the element of Sam Allardyce wanting to get one over Newcastle as well, just because of the way they treated him many moons ago. And I think that's always sort of stuck in the claw with him about uh, his managerial career and one of the reasons he believes it never took off where he thought it should go um and it just is it's just it'd be just like Newcastle to drop points away at Leeds United he's a horrible geezer to play against when you're really scrapping for points Sam Allardyce and he's going to make it a, a fight more than anything else he's had a week to play on the training ground with those players don't be surprised if something weird happens on Saturday lunchtime. Uh, Chelsea against Nottingham Forest. Forest out of the drop zone. They won't want anything weird to happen at all in that game between Leeds and Newcastle. Uh, they probably couldn't have hoped for a, a better turn of events on Monday. They weren't particularly secure against uh, Southampton. They were, in fact, quite a uh, quite a chaotic at times during that game. But they had the power to get the goals that they needed to get beyond Southampton, can they beat Chelsea, Scott? Well, if they'd have met them before the last game, uh, I definitely would have fancied them to get a point out of it. But I do think that would have lifted Chelsea's um, spirits and mood and the psycho- psychological side of it as well. And, and look, Forest have been shocking away from home um, and they have relied on their home form. They, you know, and... With all due respect, they're playing the worst team that's about to be relegated and they're still conceded three goals at home. So defensive, defensively, yeah. even though Chelsea aren't particularly great at scoring goals, I, I you know, I can't see it here now. A week ago, I'd have said a draw. Now, I, I think it's a Chelsea win. Yeah, Forest have won just one of their 17 away league fixtures and uh, you, you'd probably say you're asking a lot for a team to come and win back-to-back games when they've been so poor over the course and inconsistent over the course of the season. But strange things happened at the end of the campaigns, don't they? And, and occasionally you do get like a glut of results which alter the, the course of history. Because if, if Forrest were to stay up this season, it would be a completely different place to be next We've season. We've seen one already, Sam, with, uh, with Everton at Brighton, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah, I seem to remember Sunderland going to Stamford Bridge and, and nicking a victory. Um, Everyone goes to Stamford were... Bridge and nicks something nowadays, mate. It's <laughs> the way of the world. 
when they were in dire straits. So, uh, but it's, again, it's going to be fascinating to see if that was just a flash in the pan for Chelsea uh, at Bournemouth or if it is genuinely um, a turning point. There were some really impressive performances. Badia Shield, I think, proved why a lot of Chelsea fans have been saying all along that he's their best defender. Sterling and Felix made an impact off the bench. Frank Lampard is going to want to back that up with a home victory and with Forrest's away record. I think there's every chance Chelsea gets it. Uh, Gibbs White was brilliant on uh, Monday night. Terrific player. £42 million, but definitely worth it. Um, Brennan Johnson was excellent as well. So much great speed and guile. I think sometimes his final ball isn't perfect, but he is a real threat. Those two players, when they're at it, they're a, they're a real thorn in anyone's side. Chelsea have to be careful about that. Uh, you mentioned earlier on Pochettino. You're now confident again that he's going to, to get the job because you did send me a couple of panicky text messages. What you heard about Poch? I, uh, I, I heard that it stalled. Well, what what I've been hearing actually is that um, it's convoluted because he's got not one, not two, but three lawyers, um, one based in Spain, one based in England, I believe one based in Argentina, because uh, he hasn't got an agent. He's been representing himself in negotiations, but it's now uh, with those lawyers. And I think Chelsea were just getting a little bit impatient. Maybe his demands were were changing as, as they were losing matches. But I think everyone's fully focused now. They seem to be on the same page. And I think it will it will happen and it will be announced soon. Yeah, I said to you, there's no doubt about it. Just calm down. It's going to happen. But what's going to happen is, is they're going to delay it until the end of the season in terms of the announcement. You wanted a quick announcement, didn't you? You were like, are they going to announce it before the end of the week? And I was like, no, they're not. The reason they're not going to do that is, is because then that undermines what the work that is going on at this moment in time and the focus is taken away from what they're trying to do. And Frank's authority is already very low. The mm. idea of then saying that Maurizio Pochettino is now the new boss. It's good for Chelsea to have this idea that it's not 100% done yet because it means that the players have to still think about their performances, which they, they need to do because they've been absolutely dreadful over the course of the season. Southampton will be officially down if they fail to win at home to Fulham. Um, that game is on Saturday afternoon. They're going to go anyway because if they don't win that one, they'll have to win all the others and they're not going to do that. Um, so what happens to the club going forward? Um the ownership, obviously, that came in 18 months ago um, have been very unsuccessful. They've gone through a series of managers. They've gone completely down a different path in terms of their recruitment strategy. It hasn't worked. There is sort of competing factions within the Southampton boardroom. There's the old guard, like Martin Simmons, who's the, the, the chief executive. And you've got the new guard, Rasmus Ankerson, who's actually one of the co-owners of, of of the of the group that bought the club eighteen months ago. So, so what is the future? And you've got Jason Wilcox coming in as director of football as well, and I think he's going to want to have a a big say in terms of the management. How happy is he of... going to be in terms of the fact that he signed for a Premier League club and then actually he's going to end up joining a Championship one? Well, he might see it as a challenge. Um, I, I don't think this is as dire for Southampton as when they were relegated before, back in 2005, when uh, Rupert Lowe took them into administration. They plummeted down into League One, took a long time to get back in the Premier League. I think what you, you can accuse these owners of mismanagement, but what you can't accuse them of is a lack of investment. They spent a lot of money in terms of the, the squad. There'll be lots of departures. James Ward-Prowse, Shea Adams, Romeo Lavia, Carl Walker-Peters, Armel Bellacoccia. Mohamed Salah, so you name it, there's not going to be many of those senior players left. So they're going to get a lot of money back into the bank account. And I think they will reinvest. I think they'll come back up. But I think the most important decision is the manager because the reason they're getting relegated, let's not mess about, it's because they hired Nathan Jones. That's why they're going down. And that's not it's not a personal 
assassination on Nathan Jones. He was just completely sounds, the wrong fit. Like they it. used up all their winnable fixtures when he was in charge, and it was a disaster. So they have to get this managerial appointment right. And if I give Rasmus Anderson one piece of advice, if he listens to this podcast, let Jason Wilcox pick the manager because you're not particularly good at it. Um, yeah, well, I mean, first of all, you've said that stuff about Nathan Jones quite a few times now. I, I do wonder whether or not if you've got a little bit of an agenda. I, I don't want. I don't want to get on the wrong side of Crookie ever. If that's not yeah, a personal, I don't think you gave him a, an exclusive interview. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I also like the fact that you called Armel uh, Belakochap a senior player at the age of twenty-one. Um, but obviously, that was his influence in the dressing room, or he's one of your mates, or your mates with his agent. Well, the two. Um, <laughs> In terms of uh, Southampton and uh, going down and recruiting right and getting the right manager in, I just think that they, they mustn't give it to Ruben Seles. He's too inexperienced. His they won't do that. His coaching staff is too inexperienced. They look like a, a bunch of six formers on Monday night that were trying to sort of prove that they could be managers. They There was four of them in the technical area. It was so uncontrolled. It was it was odd. It just didn't, it didn't smack of Premier League and... Certainly, they've got to a point bearing with that in mind, thinking they're going to get back to the Premier League. So let's see what happens uh, with them. OK, um, we've got live commentary of Leeds against Newcastle from the Premier League on Saturday at 2.30. At 3 o'clock, it's Aston Villa against Tottenham. Sunday session comes from uh, Wembley, where they've got the uh, FA Cup final, the Women's FA Cup final, Chelsea against Manchester United. I'll be there with Joe Shannon and Leanne Sanderson. Everton, Manchester City will also feature in our programme and Brentford against West Ham, plus Arsenal, Brighton build up too. Uh, Leicester against Liverpool is live on Monday night. That's a massive game. It's absolutely huge that. Uh, I'll be there with Adrian and Danny Murphy. That's eight o'clock on Monday night. Thank you very much, Crook. Cheers, guys. Enjoyed that. Okay, and Scott, uh, thank you very much as well. We appreciate you you being on. Uh, right, we'll be back on uh, Monday morning to reflect on all the weekend's footballing action and Crookie's latest kebab eating exploits. Which bed will he sleep in this weekend? <laughs> The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus. Be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.